What would happen if you're having the Headless Horseman situation and he's chasing Ian and Katie, but then William from the prior episode throws his knife right into the Headless Horseman's chest? Well, I don't think anything would happen because he's dead. I just wish they found a way to merge the two tales together. Who did you like more, April or Katie? Katie. Why? April's too boring. Agreed. Katie's a risk taker. We need more risk takers. Brad! I like how she yells at Brad all the time. Ah, uh, the truth comes out at the end. Brad! I am so scared. I think I'm going to eat some marshmallows to sate my fear. I'm scared of eating marshmallows. Because of the pajamas? They just gross me out. I like the pajamas, but not the insides. Fucking disgusting. Gross. Good evening, match scratchers. Pick a patch, scratch a match, and brew up from a wicked weed and repulsive root, a horror-laden batch. Follow the drying leaves to the dying fire-lit clearing. Here, we'll recite chilling tales and ignite cooling coals. Lob another log upon the fire. If you claim you're unafraid, you're a goddamn liar. When midnight chimes, they will meet, submitting sick tales to scare. Master your fear, stoke the heat, embrace the glowing orange glare. Match scratchers, never fear. Dr. Red Devil, with a ruh, ruh, ruh. And falsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, are here. Lock up what will easily scare. Sequester that which you'd rather not share. That foreboding fireside rustling in the thicket was likely only a bear. As far as themed episodes go, this one is pretty fucking fantastic. We've got a Revolutionary War spy, men on horseback, chasing people through the woods. We also have the Headless Horseman, of all people, from a similar time period. The theme here is as interconnected as the stars and the solar system and the galaxy and all the space, dead space, in between. And America! Like Blake and his leper colony in John Carpenter's The Fog. By campfire, we conspire. Tonight, Eric Matthews from Boy Meets World enters another past-dimensional world and proves sly as a fucking fox with a boombox. Remember? We wonder if that lost frisbee caught on a branch of the hangman's tree. Good evening, match scratchers. When midnight chimes, we both shall meet. Podcasting slick, sick tales to scare. Master your fear. Stoke dying heat. Embrace the coal's glowing orange glare. I am falsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, and this is Dr. Red Devil. With a ruh, ruh, ruh. Welcome to Campfire Scary Tales, where our campsite will affright till morning light. The show 
Nickelodeon's very own Are You Afraid of the Dark? Between midnight and first light, we meet. Our appetites prepped for delicious tales of fright. In your own unease, crawling skin, tingled spine, and sweaty brow, we take delight. It will be hours before you can see anything beyond our proximal campfire light. Our weekly nightlight, we cleared, constructed, and consecrated this campsite. In our match-scratch society, we revel in delight. It is both our sacred and unholy duty to your fears in sight. This cold cord of wood ignite your amygdala of fright. If by some miraculous design you survive the scary tale of the night, then it is your solemn campfire scary tale duty to find your match-scratcher-ass back to this haunted hollow with your own flashlight. Today, you are tricked or treated, depending on your point of voodoo, with our ninth submission tale of terror. Between midnight and first light, strike a match and a new batch of dismaying fears and anxieties not allaying tales hatch. The goal is to the last told tale outmatch and leave the loser to the victor begging for a rematch. With that, match scratchers, sleep deeply and remember to your closet door latch. That's my impression of a door creaking open. Needs a little WD-40. Podcasted for the auditory approval of the Match Scratch Society, we whisper through the mic. Whisper. Our fireside submission, sometime between midnight and first light of Campfire Scary Tales, Submission 9, Midnight Bike Locket, Match Scratch Society, Decapitation Initiation, Hangman's Tree, Lost Frisbee, and a Bike Lock Key, Redcoats, Showboats, and Noose Tied Throats. Long Ago Locket slash Midnight Ride. I remember these episodes well. I will say that I distinctly remember Midnight Ride far more vividly than the Long Ago Locket, although I do remember both. Obviously, I'll just tell you now, I was completely enamored with Midnight Ride, but I did like Long Ago Locket. Will the dreaded red coat hang Corey Matthews' brother by his slender throat? Though this Midnight Ride tale is, from its source, abridged, there is still a critical soul-hoarding bridge. This is where a Minuteman, a horseman, and a lanky Ichabod Crane-looking motherfucker comes up with a winning plan. April showers brings long-lost Locket powers. Get it? Because the girl's name is April in Long Ago Locket. Very nice. The Tale of the Long Ago Locket is the second episode of the fourth season of Are You Afraid of the Dark? As well as the 45th episode in total. Long Ago Locket. Now, just look at that title alone. How do you feel about the title? Long Ago Locket. I like the flow of it. Long Ago Locket. It tells you exactly what it is. October 8th, 1994. This show had had two years to get its shit together. When I was young, I used to walk in the woods on occasion by my old house near the bayou. And I remember recognizing two things immediately. People were littering fiends even then. And a young boy has no business being in the woods alone. It's a fucked up 
surreal place that I don't want to talk about it anymore. Wow, it seems like there's more of a story there that I don't need to know about. <laughs> well, that's good because you can replace it with your own talking about lockets. Oh, yeah. I love lockets. Uh, well, when I was a girl, I loved lockets. And actually, even after college, I just, I don't know, there was just always something that was cool about lockets in my mind. And when my parents lived overseas, I had a locket. It was like a heart locket. And I had their picture in it. So it like, makes you feel close to people, I guess. And similarly, one cool memory I have is I went to Boston, like right around July 4th. And they had some really cool stuff like reenactments. They had fife and drums, which was super cool. And so it wasn't necessarily revolutionary soldiers, but well, no, it, it was. It wasn't the Redcoats is what I meant. Obviously. It was the good guys. Yeah, the good guys. It was July 4th. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal, appreciative as it is secretive, submitted and approved trivia read to you by the doctor. Dr. Red Devil here. This is the second of three episodes in which history is altered, changing the fate of the tragic victims. The first is The Tale of Locker 22. That's a really cool one with the hippiness. The third was The Tale of the Night Nurse, which I don't think I remember that one. But anyway, Will Friedel was very famous for portraying the older brother Eric Matthews in the series Boy Meets World. Later, he'd also be famous for voicing Terry McGinnis in Batman Beyond. I will say I'm pretty sure that I had a crush on Will Friedel. Anyway, it is the first time Kiki put out the fire. And David Winning stated in the Calgary Herald that he was attracted to this script because he felt it was well-written and fit his style as he preferred more true-to-life stories. So I don't know what he thinks true-to-life, like seeing redcoats in the woods is true-to-life, but whatever. Joel Gordon, who portrayed Josh, was previously Billy in The Tale of the Dream Machine. You remember him. He's the one that went looking for Blind Paul. The black guy? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember. Wow, such an identifier. Peter Colby, who portrayed the Redcoat Captain, previously played the boyfriend in The Tale of the Full Moon. Oh, I like that one. See, you do remember. You need to give yourself proper credit. Rachel Glate, who portrayed Mrs. Ritter, was the dark lady slash phantom in The Tale of the Super Specs. She's the teacher yes. in this one? Yes. Okay, I could see that. The Campsite of Fright. Sam is on the throne. She's reading. How presumptuous that she thinks that She's going to be the one telling the story tonight. We haven't even officially begun the Midnight Society, or the better, more esoteric crew, the Match Scratch Society. Tucker is about to pour water from a bucket onto Sam. He is such a cockbag. Why would you pour water on Sam? She's a nice girl. But Gary saves her because Gary wants to pour a water bucket on her wet t-shirt contest, Don't baby. Be weird. Basically, Gary likes her. Also, she is wrapped in her history book. Totally wrapped, like Dr. Red Devil when she's working on one of her puzzles. With a rah, rah, rah. Or Legos. Yes. Frank asked her previously if she would study with him. <laughs> Busted. Sam's story, well, she was presumptuous, but it is her story tonight. She says history is not boring. Agree. History always repeats itself. And if you don't focus on that, you will be doomed to repeat the past. Okay, the drinking game for tonight. Every time Jimmy bumps heads with, or otherwise makes an ass of himself in April's presence, if you want to be arrested for drunk driving, drink every time he screams at her or acts like a roid rage proponent. He gets angry. No, I'm not going with you. No, I'm fine. I'm telling you. Aww, this dude needs Jimmy. to chill. I mean, he is seeing ghosts, so just I am. The Tale of Terror. We learn that in 431 BC, there was a Spartan army. Jimmy likes April. 
Also, he has good hair. He has very good hair. Yeah, because he's Will Friedel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So did you want to watch Boy Meets World starting after this episode? I'm down. Let's do it. Perfect. Yeah, and did you know Corey Matthews is running for Congress? No, I didn't know. Now you know. Stay on point now. This is not a political campfire you scary You said tale. Boy Meets World. This is not called political scary tales, okay? Although it would be scary. Politics is scary. Walking home through the park, he's very calorie conscious. We learned that up in Canada, they walk everywhere or ride bikes. They're yeah. very athletic. Mm-hmm. I love the clearing and I love the sounds of the horse. Like, what the fuck is going on? It actually reminds me of Last Mohicans. Yeah, the running, I bet. In several ways. Because there's like a skirmish that occurs halfway through the movie. It's in a clearing such as that. They it's would in be, Canada. They would be wearing red coats, etc. Horse sounds. I love Last Mohicans, by the way. Michael Mann. Okay, Bowie knife. There is a Bowie knife with a bone handle. The hand grabs him, Jimmy, suddenly. That is also the scary runner-up. When he sees this knife lying in the bushes... And he reaches down to collect it. And then suddenly a fucking dirty hand grips his wrist. Mm-mm. That's scary. It came out of nowhere. It's like the first five minutes of the show. Hey, it's the dream machine dude. You know, the guy that you were like, oh, the black guy. The black guy. His personality is identical, by the way, to how he was in Dream Machine. He also looks older. It's only been a couple of years. But he looks taller and older. Crazy how we grow up. Tower of Blood Part 4 is what he wants to watch with April. It's a gore flick. In case you couldn't figure it out. But April, like a Dalmatian, is very loyal. She's like, what about Jimmy? I don't like you, Josh, because you're getting in the way of April and Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Always making things a triangle. Poor Jimmy. He's such an awkward ass. Hey, there's fog in the woods in the middle of the day. I like that. Beware the fog. We learn a little bit about Harrisville because this dude, Minuteman farmer guy, approaches Jimmy again, and he seems very hasty to get out of there. They'll hang you if they catch you. This escalated very quickly, I might add. Yeah, I would be scared. This is where I get the title, Redcoats and Noose-Tied Throats. Jimmy does some good thinking on the fly. He's acting like a wild man. He's approached by his two friends. Uh, Jimmy, what are you doing? You look a little weird. Oh, I, uh, I lost a contact lens. That's pretty clever on the fly thinking, and good luck finding that shit. A contact lens on the middle of the forest floor? Well, what? even if you find it, like, there's no way in hell I'd be putting that back in my eye. Woo! Okay, there's a button relic that is kept by Jimmy. And we learn, as he takes it to like a local scholar or historian, that it belongs to the clothing of a Minuteman in the late 18th century. Now, this, of course, is where Dr. Red Devil perked up, because if it's one thing she loves more than horror, it's history. And did you know why they call them Minutemen? Because they had to be ready at a moment's notice to grab their muskets and join the fight. Damn it. But I'm sure it also has something to do with rice. You know, Minute Rice. Anyways, Battle of Harrisville fought back then. I like that the learning is occurring, and it's very relevant to the story at hand. But the button is new. Say what? Why the fuck is the button new? Perhaps it's because the Minuteman is still alive. Oh, by the way, it's Frisbee time. And this reminds me of a time where I was playing Frisbee with Dr. Red Devil and her brother Archangel. And she's like, okay, I'll play. First throw of the day, it goes way off into the distance and goes into a clearing. Yep. Much like in this episode. Making me play, so your fault. I also love that Jimmy is playing with his friend and he totally throws it horribly. And he tries to blame it on the wind. Okay, there is no wind. There's literally no fucking wind. Yeah, but he did it on purpose. And I like that he says, well, I'm gonna have to go on a safari to find it. That was a good one. That was a good one, Josh. Zinga. Josh and April are going to a place called Molly's to get a snack. And oddly enough, Jimmy would rather find the Frisbee and says, well, well, uh, save me a cheeseburger, will ya? The doctor right here beside me mm-hmm. would be there. Yep. That's for sure. Always Food is always in my mind. Drink up, buttercups, because this is the first time he yells at April. She's like, no, I'll go with you. No! 
<laughs> wow. He's come a long way from Boy Meets World. More like Boy Finds Steroids. Wow. The Spy. So we learned <gasps> that this guy, this Minuteman, well, I think these Redcoats think that both Jimmy and his associate, his spiritual associate, are both spies or something. Mm, okay. Long live liberty! Now that's what I call alliteration. Note that there's also a Boo Radley hole in one of the tree trunks. I always notice that shit, and I always call him the same thing, a Boo Radley hole. I love Boo Radley. Now this dude is pretty, pretty fucking awesome. This spy guy, okay? My love is Emmeline. I wanted to tell her, but the words just weren't there. You go back a couple hundred years, guys still had difficulty telling chicks how they felt about him. <laughs> and then he's like, this is a locket. It's my sign of love for Emmeline, okay? This is important. Hello, long ago locket, anyone? And then he gives Jimmy, you know, Jimmy the klutz with roid rage issues. He gives him this knife and he says to bind our friendship. That is a hell of a gift to give a stranger. Wow. Also, we learned that this is 1780 as it is inscribed on the handle of the knife or on the blade itself. Who remembers? Yeah. And even though they were strangers, they felt a kinship with one another. I love what he says as he departs in haste. Remember my plight. I think you should start saying that on the phone with people. Okay, have a good weekend. Remember my plight. Okay, we learn again from this historian who we see twice. It's a deer bone handle. I'll give you $150 for it. Wow. So I looked it up. In 1994, $150? That would be $311.41 today. Dying. We learn his name is Lieutenant William, 1780, September 17th. He was hung as a spy. And this historian, though reluctant at first, decides to give Jimmy a historic Harrisville book. Now we're back in class. Remember, this teacher is the same dark phantom lady from Super Specs. We learned that Nero rebuilt the city. Who was Nero? He was born in Antium in AD 37. His practical contributions to Rome's governance focused on diplomacy, trade, and culture. He ordered the construction of the amphitheaters and promoted athletic games and contests. He made public appearances as an actor, poet, musician, and charioteer, which scandalized his aristocratic contemporaries as these occupations were usually the domain of slaves, public entertainers, and infamous persons. The scariest concept, I think, in this episode, because it's not particularly scary, but it's the general grim premise of being hung in the woods in the middle of daylight to then have vultures and vermin eat at your rotting corpse. That's pretty fucked up. This is why I call it hangman's tree and a lost frisbee they never find the frisbee again by the way i also love when jimmy demands that josh give him the boombox. josh makes a crack about deep space and then jimmy responds i'm not kidding josh take a drink you match scratchers out there because he's losing it he is all up in his grid space as bosh would say from the show bosh on amazon tv and he says don't waste my batteries <laughs> That's a fair concern. Those batteries for those boomboxes? Ginormous. It was like 6D batteries. Yeah. And it would last for like a week. He uses the gifted knife to cut this Lieutenant William free. Now their friendship is truly unbound. Get it? Because he was bound and then he untied him with the knife. <laughs> so he really bound the friendship, but unbounded him. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> and then I love when they find the boombox, these red coats, and he's like, the treachery of these barbarians. Because they don't know what the fuck that is. I love it. That was smart thinking. Jimmy yells again, April, run! The story's basically over. They do hear a horse, but it is not a redcoat per se. It's actually a hottie on a horse. There's this attractive girl that's in riding equipment, and she's like a polo player or something, 
a show horse jockey, and she came out of fucking nowhere, and she's very attractive, and she's very polite. My question is, who is that equestrian creature? But that's who Jimmy should be dating. Maybe she's the ghost from that one, the Fox movie. Oh, the Hungry Hounds. Hungry Hounds. But what if it's Emmeline in present day? It is that. That would be fucking crazy. Okay, but it's not because she's in pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, it was fun to think about. You're right. But she came out of nowhere, and she was so, she's like, oh, I'm so terribly sorry if my horse startled you. Like, in today's day, she'd be like, get lost, creep. What are you, a little sissy wimp, bitch? We learn that much like in the movie Frequency, when something changes in the present, it affects the past. That dude, who was a Lieutenant William, is now Captain. He got promoted. You see it change on the knife. Yes, just like in Frequency in a similar occurrence. Jimmy gives the locket to April. She better date his ass for at least two weeks after receiving that gift with all the blood that came with it. It is a happy, warm, complete ending. Now we're back at the campsite. The paragraph about William had changed. The end. I guess history can be interesting. That's what Frank's saying, trying to work some game on Sam. Nice try, Frank. Frank wants to go to a Phantasmagoria concert. But sorry, Sam is actually going with Betty Ann and Gary. Tucker says he is history now. (laughs) That's a good one. But Tucker will probably not live long to enjoy it. Tucker's hilarious. He is. The fire is put out, though, by Kiki. Though confusing and differing from the norm, Smokey the Bear would still be satisfied. Now it's time for the oral moral or the unholy grail of the tale. I feel, Doctor, that these have been a little lacking lately on quality, so let's see how this goes. If you lose your amigo's frisbee and turn down a warm cheeseburger, be not surprised if the two people you slighted start dating each other. Mm, That didn't happen, though. If your dear bone handle knife gifted to you by a ghost of a former time, lethal spy combatant Minuteman, you would be a fucking fool to sell it to a present-day old man. In addition to being annoying and stereotypical, boomboxes, despite what our parents might have claimed, can, in fact, save a life. Truest thing you said today. Finally, if Eric Matthews continues to pass on burgers and sprint through the forest on the reg, he will look as emaciated as the 18th century farmer spy. In the real, Eric Matthews would never pass on a cheeseburger. Red Devil, how much did you enjoy this episode, and why? Um, this one I'd give at least an 8.5. I just like the story, I obviously like the history component, I like how they tie in the ghost and Jimmy, even though they're from a different time, they have a lot in common. It's like the human spirit. But not scary, right? No, not really scary, necessarily, other than, I mean, the Redcoat's chasing them and stuff, and then the guy's literally tied up, but, eh. The logs may be wet. But are you drunk yet? Is your horrifying future set? Here, we have a bridge of souls and gaping lacuna plot holes. If Ichabod Crane would stay in the right goddamn lane, then he and we would keep from going headless and insane. Turn left, turn right. Either way, this pallid-ass Ichabod won't survive the goddamn night. The Tale of the Midnight Ride, one of my personal favorites, by the way, is the first episode and season premiere of the third season of Are You Afraid of the Dark, as well as the 27th episode in total. Midnight Ride, January 8th, 1994. It's kind of a weird time for this episode to come out, but hey, who gives a shit? Halloween dance parties, green glow sticks, not to mention a bully named Chris. I love Halloween parties. Sadly, I have not been to many of them in my life, but I do like them. I like the whole concept of autumnal candles, bobbing for apples. I like the idea of fog machines, and costumes galore, and mischief. 
and raising the dead and demonic worship what? And, and sinister soirees. Okay, sorry. But Green Glow Sticks, huge fan. And when he finds a green glow stick and a jack-o'-lantern in this episode, I'm like, fuck yeah. Green is the best color of glow stick because it shows up the best at night. And there was a bully named Chris that looked a lot like the guy in this episode, actually, the bully. And he was a blight and a plague and a blister in a year of middle school for most of the kids, including myself. And he sucker punched me in the face one time at the seventh grade dance in the dark. But before I could exact hellfire on him, like 10 people got involved and separated us and held me up against the wall. And I was furious because all I wanted to do was punch him in the dick and <laughs> kick him in the throat. But anyways, his name was Chris and he's a little piss. Well, that you at least piss you're over on. it. Okay. Now, Dr. Red Devil is going to share about a recent trip to Sleepy Hollow, New York. Where I saw Ichabod. Just kidding, I didn't. But I did get to see the cemetery where the Headless Horseman lives and the Old Dutch Church. The bridge. And Katrina's grave. She is based on a real person, FYI. Anyway, it was so cute. Like the little towns in the Hudson Valley, very, very cute. And would recommend to anybody, whether you want to see the Headless Horseman or not. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal, appreciative as it is secretive, submitted and approved trivia. This episode introduced a new member of the Midnight Society, Gary's little brother Tucker, and this is Tucker's first story. I will tell you, Tucker tells some good fucking stories, and this might be his best, although I don't want to say that and fully commit because I don't know offhand all of his episodes, but this might be my favorite of his stories, possibly. As stated by his official collector photo card, this is Tucker's favorite story. At the beginning of the episode, Gary announces that Kristen and David's families have moved away. I will miss David. Kristen, as your mother would say, not so much. I do like her prom queen story, though, for being real. According to an interview with DJ McHale, David was terminated due to salary disputes, and Kristen personally called him and said she didn't want to do the show anymore, which is funny because I believe she also passed on. That vampiric cranberry juice. She just was a stick in the fucking mud. Bye, Kristen. After this episode, David and Kristen were never mentioned again. Wow. Now, David had a good voice and he told some good stories. Twisted Claw, anyone? Lonely Ghost, anyone? This is the only episode where an actual location was known for the story setting. Sleepy Hollow, New York. Did you know that it wasn't called Sleepy Hollow until the 90s, actually? I don't remember when, but I, I learned that. It yeah, was it was Terry probably Town. just part of Terrytown, yeah. Brad's character might have been based on the character of Brom Bones, obviously. Katie's character was based on Katrina Van Tassel, obviously. The campsite of Fright. Tucker is the teller of the tale, and it may be his best. Okay, drinking game. If you want to get sloshed, imbibe your libation of choice every time Brad completely ignores Katie's claims that they broke up. Or... You can drink each time a horse or horseman sound is uttered. Tucker is introduced to the crew. Everyone's reaction is fucking hysterical. Everyone hates Tucker. Two friends have gone, says Gary, David and Kristen. David again will be missed. Fuck Kristen. Families have moved. Friends come and friends go. It's true. We actually have two new members. Sam, with an initiation pending. And we're just going to call him fucker. Little fucker, Tucker. Get it? And then I love when he's like, I'll show you small. And they're like, your little brother? <laughs> it's like, we're not babysitting here. Well, Gary says that if he doesn't get to bring Tucker along, then he can't come either. And then Tucker calls them scabs. And then they say that he'll let Frank pound them. Gary, this is a youthful show. No reason to talk about Frank pounding your brother. Stop it. Ghost stories. 
not made up? What about a legend so popular it just won't die? Gary then throws the midnight dust, which is interesting. This might be the first time we realize that if you're not officially initiated into the Match Scratch Society, you cannot throw the dust. It's a privilege. And that's why Gary throws it on his behalf. The Tale of Terror. Okay, I love the prologue that Tucker shares. It's based on what we read in the actual Legend of Sleepy Hollow. A cannonball took this Hessian's head off. This is accurate, based on what we've read. Meanwhile, we're going to have a Halloween dance on Friday at this school. And there's a cool black cat on a banner. We meet Katie. She's pretty. She's not the prettiest on this show, but she is pretty. Perhaps in the top five chicks of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Let's see if I can get this right. Erica from Dream Girl. Mina, the Egyptian goddess from Guardian's Curse. Miss Braun from Nightly Neighbors, you know, that vamp from Transylvampia. I think Clarice from Dead Man's Float was pretty, and possibly Miss Valenti. But sadly, right now, I don't know who Miss Valenti is. Maybe it will come to me in a dream. Nope, I don't know either. And you didn't let me make a list of cute boys. Well, you already did in the last episode. Wilfredo, Wilfredo, Wilfredo. Ryan Gosling, but he wasn't. I mean, yeah, I he was I, a little yeah, pipsqueak. I don't know. There's basically oh, oh, none. Um, how about uh, Johnny wasn't bad looking? Yeah, but he had thin hair. It's weird. <laughs> saying. That's why you can't come up with a list because you're a fucking perfectionist. Sorry. Sorry, babe, says Brad after hitting her in the face with a ball. Sorry. Brad is fantastic. He's like Johnny Lawrence and Karate Kid. He's great. He also kind of looks like Daniel LaRusso. I think he really looks a little bit like Daniel LaRusso. The complexion of the skin, the color of the hair, the general oval face. Brad is Brom fucking Bones. Ian, the main character here, is Ichabod. And Katie is Katrina. Now, setting up the Halloween party in the gymnasium looks really fun. I wish that I had done more of that in high school. I just wanted to get out of high school. Like, I wanted to get home. I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to go see friends. I didn't want to hang out at the school. In retrospect, there were some good people there working on some fun projects. I loved staying after school and doing projects. And then I love when Brad inquires as to whether Ian is going to be attending the party. And he responds, with balls or brass? Why, you asking? <laughs> Not good to show the head bully that he is a dumbass. Yeah, he has pretty funny lines. He says that he's going to make Ian toothless. That's what I call toxic masculinity at its finest, resolving issues and complaints with violence and not your words. Although technically he did use his words, he just made a threat. But whether he would back that threat up is another matter. This is a badass, must be a Canadian Halloween party. And it's pretty hilarious, the children dancing. Just really great. They've got like a legit shit DJ. Everyone's decked out in full garb, and they've got cool lighting and decorations. Also, notice that Ian dresses like a Minuteman, which is hilarious. And he's got guts, doesn't he? Ian has got a shit ton of guts. Yeah, maybe he's senseless. And then I love when Brad confronts Ian, and he's like, look, you're going to have to do what I call the decapitation initiation. Get it, Headless Horseman? I love when he's telling this story in front of like 10 people, where he's educating Ian on the backstory of this local legend. And he's like, a long time ago. In 1700, whatever. <laughs> Brad is an imbecile, and we love him. He, referring to Ichabod Crane, should have gone left, but he went right. Decapitation, initiation. Okay, scariest runner-up. Ian walking alone, whistling to keep himself company. He then finds a jack-o'-lantern with a green glow stick inside. I absolutely love it, but it is very suspenseful. Then, he is attacked by a headless foe horseman. You guessed it, it is Brad. A headless horseman. Oh man. It was good though. It was scary, wasn't it? Yes, it was cool. And it was I like how they used the football pads. Yes, the shoulder pads. That was brilliant. 
And there will be a scariest running up scene as well in a little bit, which I call the Headless Horseman in the Fog, and then ultimately coming out of the school. It'll make sense when we get there, but it was like, ah! And then I love when Ian pulls the green glow stick out of the pumpkin. Nice touch. Okay, again, we have the Faux Horseman. It's fucked up. And they're like, forget this loser. And then Katie tells Brad to take a hike with his traveling circus, meaning all of his little mundane minions. Okay, we see the Headless Horseman for real, seconds later, in the fog, doing donuts on his horse. Whoa. Scary. I love the fuck out of this episode. I like all the shadows, too. They do a good job in this one. Now, Ian gives his jacket to the lady, because he's a gentleman, and nice guys finish last. Or do they? Because it looks like she's about to kiss him on her front porch with all the awesome Halloween decorations, scarecrows, and whatnot. Well, here's the thing. They are approached by a spirit of Ichabod Crane. Good evening, children. Might you direct me to the spooky bridge of souls? That was good. That, that was a really great impression. And they're like, yeah, take a left at the fork. Thank you kindly. I'm Ichabod Crane, the new schoolmaster. You can hear owls, by the way. You can actually hear owls. Ooh, ooh. I got a little ahead of myself, but now they get to her front porch. There's some great porch decks. Scarecrow, how appropriate. Because remember in Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the way they describe Ichabod, it's like he eloped from a cornfield. Scarecrow. He is what I call porch light blocked. Haha. Mm. Ichabod blocked. No kiss for them. He's going to leave to head back to the school to get his bicycle. But remember, he gave her his jacket because he's a gentleman. Seconds later, he's back at the school. He cannot unlock his bike lock because the keys are in the jacket. Well, who shows up almost immediately? It's Katie on her bicycle. She's returning the keys. Okay. She is nice. She's like as nice as April was in the last episode. She rode her bike to the school at night on Halloween with a headless horseman out there just to return his jacket slash keys. Marry this woman. Now we get to the scene where Ian still thinks that he's getting fucked with by Brad. And he sees a shadow of the headless horseman on the wall of the school building. He walks over expecting to see something on a horse to match up with the shadow. There's nothing there. He's like, say what? And then all of a sudden, the Headless Horseman leaps out of the school wall. I love this effect. It's simple, but creative. I say, well done. The whole shadow on the wall coming out of the wall say what business? Doctor, what do you think of this scene? I think it's great. I have nothing else to add. It's great too, because Ian gets one of the best lines of the episode. So Ian and Katie are being pursued by the Headless Horseman, and they're on bicycles. And briefly, Brad is standing there like a klutz, still trying to navigate the shoulder pads and the Headless Horseman costume with a sword. Ian warns him, duck! And then, of course, Brad gets it good. He falls back and like hits the dumpster or whatever right by the trash. But I love what Ian says when he's like, meet your brother, pal. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, bikers versus horsemen. The ultimate confrontation. Oh, wait, cyclists. Cyclists is more appropriate than bikers. Hilarious. Because while they're on a bicycle, they're not on a motor bicycle. But either way, who's going to win? The plan is they're going to split up and then she will distract the horseman. Again, marry this broad. Okay, the scariest scene of this episode. I think it's right before he calls the horseman a supernatural airhead and like throws the pumpkin at him to get his attention. But to me, the scariest is when they're off their bikes standing in the dark woods and the horseman is right fucking there, feet from Katie in the deep dark woods. I mean, he is right there, a very close shot five or six feet away, scarified. That's petrified, that's scared, all in one, scarified. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's either that or the shadows. Like, also how he just keeps popping up. He's He's, everywhere. Yeah. He's ubiquitous, that son of a bitch. Like the Mona Lisa's eyes. He catches the fucking pumpkin on his sword. The fuck? How do you even do that? How many takes do you think that took? Maybe there was, like, a fishing line or something, and it went, it was, We saw the Legend of Sleepy Hollow ballet, and it was fantastic how they raised the pumpkin simultaneously on the stage. Well, you love when they do slow-mo. Ian is running in slow-mo from the horseman, and he gets to the Bridge of Souls just in time, and then, bam, ball of fire, the horseman dissipates into nothing. Oh, but wait, as Katie and Ian are walking away from the scene of the crime, they come upon old Ichabod again. Old Ichabod is fucked. Because the Headless Horseman is still out there. And I love when Ichabod's like, Oh, that got me back on the right track. Thank you, children. This is a satisfying ending. Benevolent to our cast, but Ichabod will still lose his head to the Horseman of the Dead. The ending is as it should have been from the beginning. We're now back at the campsite. Gary is on the throne. Because again, if you're not officially a member, you can't sit up your ass on the throne either. They take the rules very seriously. And then I love when they respond to Tucker's story. You'll do. Excellent. Betty Ann's always so positive. And then Frank, just keep him out of my face. Frank does not pull any punches with his rudeness. The fire is put out by Gary alone. Smokey would be satisfied. Poor Gary. He brings his bro, and his bro leaves him behind. Just like Brad would. Just like Brad. Now it is time for the oral moral or the unholy grail of the tale. Doctor, would you like to read these? Yes, I would. Read them with pizzazz. Pizzazz. Okay. Anytime a pale, fleshed horseman ends their inquiry with, thank you kindly, either you or they will meet a grim fucking end. If you play along with the bully's game and keep your head about you, it is said bully who you can ultimately shame and subsequently tame. Telling the Johnny Lawrence personality type when he asks you if you'll be at the dance, if he is personally asking you, is a good way to be left hanging in the gymnasium. If a gal who is reminiscent of Katrina Von Tussel tries to kiss you on her porch and then braves the headless horseman in the dark to bring you your coat, kiss her instantly before you lose your head. Red Devil, how much did you enjoy this episode and why and compare it to Long Ago Locket? I like this one. This is a nine, I think, because it's a great story, just like Long Ago Locket was, but you have that scary, creepy element on top of it as well. And I like the whole Halloween backdrop. Can you think of one we've done that you've given more than a nine to thus far? No, nine is my highest score so far. Like, I know you really liked Dream Girl. I think that was an 8.5. I know that you really liked Nightly Neighbors. I don't think I've given any nines yet. Phone Police. Phone Police might have gotten a nine. I know that you really liked The Magician's Assistant, and you liked The Ghastly Grinner. I think you gave The Ghastly Grinner a 9. You really liked The Full Moon, and I know that you liked The Fire Ghost. Oh, and how about The Silent Servant? And you really liked Bookish Babysitter. You're correct. I do like all of those. And Twisted Claw. Don't forget Calavenos! And of course, the, well, coming up, The Water Demons. Don't forget The Water Demons. The logs may be wet, but are you drunk yet? Is your horrifying future set? I think this was better than Long Ago Locket because of the fear factor. It was just scarier, and it was a good story. And it is rooted in Sleepy Hollow, which is one of the coolest fucking places and times ever. Do not easily scare, as we declare this ninth two-parter episode of Campfire Scary Tales concluded. Dr. Red Devil with a rah-rah-rah and I have, in fear-inspiring machinations, colluded. 
and terrified your insides, unless it is we who are deluded. Collect your new batch of match scratcher sheep, find a cold rock seat to warm, poke with your makeshift spear, the waning fire. Roast those mellows before they exceed their shelf life and expire. Master your storytelling and your fears upon this pyre, and await with deathless, breathless anticipation your next Campfire Scary Tale with Campfire Scary Tales, Submission 10, Super Quick Silver Spectacle Society, Dimension in Contention, Suffer April's Fools, Black Basketball and White Chalk on the Wall, Silver Mistake, Sardo's The Fake, Quicksilver, Super Specs. Your host, that's Falsetto, No Mister, Accent on the Toe, and co-host, Dr. Red Devil, with a row, row, row. Until next time, Match Scratchers. It's the most fun at this secluded park when swapping campfire scary tales after dark. You took my line. But I gave you mine.